Welcome to Becoming One Podcast, where as the church, we learn to pursue peace in a divided world. Here is your host, Sean Wilson. Hey man, how's everybody doing? It's been a few weeks. I want to share something with you today that I think is going to bless you. Um, and, and it's pertaining to this topic of, you know, man, it's just, it's, uh, it's almost frustrating to even bring it up because I just find that a lot of people don't understand. They don't understand the gospel at all. Um, I think that we don't read the word enough. Um, and I think that we don't mix that reading the word enough with asking God for illumination and understanding of his scripture. I, I think we don't understand the old Testament and the old covenant and what the new and better covenant is. I, I don't think that many people who profess to be believers in Jesus knows what it means to be saved by grace through faith. And that's what I kind of want to talk about today because I hear this conversation popping up a lot where people will say who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. Um, and even more so in the body of Christ. Now with that being said, I mean that in this sense, I know that when we teach the gospel, we're talking about, I look at, I look at teaching the gospel as about not about heaven or hell, but more so about life or death. And I believe that's clear um, that Jesus mentioned that he, he mentioned about us having life as opposed to having death. Um, if we place our faith in him, we pass from death until life. Um, we have been transferred from being dead in our sins to being alive to righteousness. Um, we see this transition. We see this as far as the the body is, as far as what the gospel actually means. The gospel actually is about having the promise of eternal life. Jesus promised that we would have eternal life. That was the call. That is the message. This is what is being communicated is it's about life. The gospel message is about life and it's about a relationship, the relationship being reconciled unto the father. That's exactly what we're being reconciled to is it's, it's a relationship. It is Jesus himself became the propitiation for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins, the atonement the atoning sacrifice for our sins that we may be brought back into a right relationship with God and also being made alive through Christ. So what I wanted, I want us to understand today. I, I hear so many people talking about, well, you know, if you do this, you're going to hell. If you do that, you're going to hell. Oh, if I do this, I'm going to heaven. You know, I want to tell you something. I want to read something here in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. And I think this is very special. Um, we all know this scripture. It says, for by grace, we are saved. You have been saved through faith. And this not 
not your own doing. It's not your own doing. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like to say that no one shall boast? I I, I have to I have to take us to the Old Testament to understand that it says it's not by the works of a person that gets them to be a part of the promise. It's all predicated on the promise and the one that gives the promise. Let's let's listen to this. Listen to this. So when when we sit back and we think about making it or when people tell you a person is going to heaven or hell, they always talk about the failure of man. That's what most people talk about. Well, this person is not doing that, so they're going to hell. Or this person is doing this, so they're going to heaven. Well, first of all, I want to show you some things here in the text. And the first thing I want to show you is, where do I want to go first? All right, let, let's go to this. Let's go to Romans first, because I'm going I'm to take you to Romans 10, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy And then I want to show you something else in the book of Titus, right? I want to go to, we're going to go over to Romans and we're going to go to Romans chapter 10. And I want to show you something here that I know we all know the Bible. We know the Bible. I want, but listen, just listen, listen, please. Just, just for a moment. Just listen to what the scripture says. Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to start at verse one because I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression of this, but it says, brothers, my heart's desire. This is Paul and prayer to God for them. Who is them? It's the children of Israel. Those that have been rejecting Christ, those namely those. So let me go back. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer. What was his heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So now Paul is saying he wanted them to be saved. So obviously they were not saved. They were not saved. Why did he say they were not saved? Verse two, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for being arrogant or ignorant for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So there was a righteousness that they had that they thought was righteous, but it wasn't. And it was a zeal for God, which means they, they presented themselves as being for God but it was not according to the proper knowledge. So when we see that, that is not according to the proper knowledge, there is something that's lacking there. So he says that they were ignorant, unknowing of the righteousness of God. And then he says, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness 
to everyone who does what? Believes. So obviously, the people that he was referring to, they did not believe, and they was believing in their, what they would do would make them righteous. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes in him. Now, I want to show you something. We're going to continue because this is not it. That's not it. This is the point I want to get to. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Moses does. He's talking about the Ten Commandments and the laws. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does faith say? The word is near you in your mouth in it and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes is justified. You are justified when you believe in your heart. You are made right. You are acquitted because of faith. Believing in your heart has nothing to do with the work of your hand. He says, believing in your heart is where you are justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Now, what is that confession? What is that confession? That confession can be glorification of the Lord, thanking the, the Lord Jesus. We see this in the book of Acts. Everyone that was a believer, they all glorified God. That was a consistency. Through every conversion experience, there was a glorification of the Lord from the good news of that message. From the good news of that message. And he says, verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I want to stop there. I can continue to go through and read that. But I wanted you to really hear something there. He talked about what faith says in verse six. But righteousness that's based on faith, a person's righteousness that's based on faith does not say in their heart who is going to go into heaven. Who's going to heaven? And it does not say who's going to go to hell, because if his faith is not it's not predicated on the man and what he does. What 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 Paul is saying is we don't know what's the work that's going on in a man's heart in their faith in Christ. Now, he does tell us that we can judge the fruit. 
and we can make that assumption. We we can look at the if they're if they're saying they believe in God and they don't they don't walk according to the words of God. There's a way that we're supposed to treat a brother. It says a so-called brother who says these things. But then just like he says in first Corinthians chapter five, if they were to live that way, don't even eat with them. Then you actually excommunicate them from the body. But it's for a time, a season. That has nothing to do with who they are in Christ. There are many believers who fall short of the glory of God, even though they have the spirit of God within them, because it's a struggle with our flesh. We are told to renew our minds, but it does not nullify the promises of the Lord. And this is what we have to understand as believers, that faith does not focus on what a person does and doesn't do. What a person overcomes and what a person doesn't overcome is predicated on a promise. Now, with that said, I want to make a transition. I want to make a transition over to Deuteronomy. All right. Deuteronomy chapter nine. All right. Deuteronomy nine. And I want to go down to I'm going to start here at verse four. But I encourage you to please go back and read the entire chapter, because this explains why Paul used this as a reference. He used this scripture as a reference. Let's, let's look at this. He says, do not say in your heart after the Lord, your God has thrust them out before you. When he's talking about going to the promised land, then he was thrusting the people out of the land. Do not say this in your heart. Remember. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into the promised land. Now, listen to this. Listen to what Moses is saying. He says, don't that you don't say this. Don't say in your heart that is because my righteousness. Is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into possess the land like you earn the right to get into the land. He's going to clarify this. He's going to continue to say something. He's going to say, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. So he didn't allow them in the promised land because they were good. He he allowed them in the promised land because the other people were Considered to be bad against the king. See, these these were the promise was not for those people. It was for the children of Israel. And this is giving us a picture of how God keeps his promises. So one of the things you need to keep note of is what is the promise of the Lord for the New Testament believer? Now, let's look at this. Let's look at this scripture here. He says in verse five, not because of your righteousness. Or. The uprightness of your heart, are you going in to possess their land? He says, because, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that he, the Lord, swore to your fathers, Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob. So he was doing it in a sense because of a promise that was given to them. See, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. He, he does not change his mind in that sense with his promises, his promises. If he says something, he's going to keep that promise. And this is what we need to understand. God's promise. God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he cannot deny himself. 
Let's continue. Let's continue this. Verse six. Now or know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. And then he says, remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord, even if I'm horrible. You provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of the stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord has spoke with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stones, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a metal image. Now, I want you to hear this. I'm not going to go any further in that, but I think that tells us a lot. It tells us a lot about, first of all, the promises of God. If he says he's going to keep a promise, he keeps a promise. He keeps a promise. And God disciplines those along the way when he's keeping his promise. He made sure that the people of Israel did receive that promise. And it was not because of their righteousness. It was because of he's a promise keeper because their righteousness could not gain them access. They were a stubborn people. They complained the whole way. They had a lack of faith. And but he still kept the promise. Now, I want now if you think about that. Just think about that for a moment. If you really think about it, doesn't that sound like when he had a covenant with the Old Testament, any Old Testament, and he talked to Moses and he he used Moses as a type of Jesus, not as a savior, but he saved he saved and rescued the people of Israel. Before they was called Israel, the Jews. He rescued them. He led them out of Egypt and God used Moses. We can all say that. We can all agree. This is a picture of Christ. This is to me. This is a picture of the gospel. See, God selected the people. The people didn't select God. Therefore, God, when he chose them, he kept his promises. And on along the way, he showed them who they were, who he was. And when people continued to refuse to acknowledge who he was, he left them to themselves. And this is the same thing when we talk about a reprobated mind and we talk about people who um, have been presented the gospel and and things along that line. So, like, um, there's a lot of confusion that happens with Romans chapter 11 In Romans chapter 11. A lot of people get confused about what does it mean to be grafted in and grafted out? I want to tell you something. Being grafted in has nothing to do with salvation. Let me let me let me take the nothing out because that's a strong word. It has 
it's not about salvation. Being grafted in is not about, it's not talking about salvation because a person can be grafted in and grafted out. Being grafted in is like what happened to the Jews. God selected them. Not everybody that he selected believed him. He, he gave them an opportunity to, to come to know who he was through his love and through his kindness. Some people believed him that was there. They believed in God. Not all of the children of Israel, like the scripture says, not all Israel is Israel. But as we see in the, in, in the relationship with God and in those that was of the Jews at that particular time that had been set free, those people, he, 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 he did, he blessed them. But then guess what? If we look at the book of judges is the easiest way to see it, that the people always didn't always do the things that God called them to do. They went through this cycle. God blessed them. They're here. Then they start moving around in a circle. They start to walk away from God. God disciplines them. He uses a nation to discipline them. And then he sends, they come back. And then all of this, this big cycle is completed this cycle, like six times in the book of, in the book of judges. But when we see that, we have to understand also God will do that in the New Testament as well. But he calls it church discipline. He says that he disciplines those whom he loves. Anyone who he does not discipline does not belong to him. So he will allow the enemy in that sense. If we if we continue to choose to not follow what his word says, like, for instance, in the book of Galatians, chapter six, and it talks about it in Galatians, chapter six, verse one, he says that um, if a brother sins, then us who are spiritual restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness. And when we restore them with the spirit of gentleness, guess what happens? He said, lest you be tempted. What does that lest you be tempted? What does that mean? What do you mean lest we be tempted? Well, you'll be tempted when you stop extending the grace of God to your fellow brothers and sisters, then you won't experience that either. Because you have chosen not to submit yourself unto God. You have chosen not to resist the devil. Come on. Amen. I I want you. I'm putting this together for you. I'm putting this together for you. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand that this is how God's discipline works. We belong to him. He has sealed us. We are God's possession. We have been transferred from death to life. We have been justified. We've been continually sanctified. We have the spirit of God in us and we have this struggle with our flesh that sometimes we want to revert back to the things that we used to do. But you know what? There's a stronger, um, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Greater the spirit that's in us is a is is going to propel us in a direction that we need to go. This is a promise that he said in his, in Ezekiel chapter 36. He also says it in Jeremiah chapter 33. Amen. So when we look at that on 36, when we look at those promises that he's going to give us his spirit and we're going to walk according to his statues because the, the, the spirit of God in us is going to lead us in those ways. Amen. He's going to lead us in those ways. And it's, and it's a process for us. This is why we're told we're supposed to grow in the knowledge of Christ. So as I point to this text, I wanted you to really understand and I wanted you to really see that when people talk about who's going to heaven or who's going to hell, sometimes we don't know. We don't know who the true believers are. That's up to God to judge the heart of man. We don't know what God is doing in a person's heart. They may fail in the physical, but they may be preserved in the spiritual. 
I know there's many people who who fail, um, but they are preserved. And then also those that fail that God disciplines. And there are some that God gives grace to. But I want you to understand something. When a person says that they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you need to treat them like a brother until they show you otherwise. But even if you were to cast them out and they come back, you still need to receive them back and, and into the the assembly of the church. Don't keep them outside like what it says in Second Corinthians. Don't allow the devil to overtake them because we left them out. We can't leave one another alone. We must be in the assembly. There's their safety in the assembly. There's safety in numbers. There's safety when we come together. When you try to fight on your own, that's when you have issues. So I wanted to share that with you this evening. I know I'm just passionate about the gospel. I do want to show you something else is in Titus and it's chapter three, verse five. And I want you to just bask in this. I want you to just hear this. I want you to hear this. Matter of fact, I'm going to start at verse four. It says, but when the God, the goodness and the kind, the loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, this is what he did. He saved us. This is verse five. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Wow. And he does this according to his own mercy by the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Brothers and sisters, I want to share that with you today. I pray that it blesses you to let you know that the, even in the Old Testament, the children of Israel did not always earn the things that they got. It was because of the grace of God that they received it. And we have to be careful that we don't walk around trying to say who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Because this, as I told you in the book of Romans chapter 10, because that's not the call. That's not that the call is to share the good news. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to break down all of, of how the good news is supposed to be shared. And it's not because of the way I shared it. We're going to break down sermons of those who preach the good news. And we're going to see what examples of what it means to repent is. You will find that there was very few people 
And matter of fact, I don't know anyone that says that you have to confess your sins to be saved. We see that that's for believers. Because knowing your sin was also something that was attached to being in truth. So it's impossible for an unbeliever to know when it comes to because they're in it. Only when you've been brought out of it can you confess your sins. Let me let me handle that real quick before we go, because I want to I want to show you something, because um, um, when, when I say that, I don't want you to to take this the wrong way. But what it says in the text, he says that. Verse five, first John chapter one, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him to proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, the truth is in you. Therefore, you know that you sin. If we say that we have no sin, a person that says they don't have any sin doesn't have truth. They deceive themselves. And you're like, well, wait a minute. How does that even make sense? Because, see, this is a call to the believer. That's why it says that verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So a person that says that they have not sinned does not have truth. And not only that, you make God a liar. Now, I want to stop there because that's enough today. Um, but I thank you. I appreciate all of the, the, the increased listeners. This is such an awesome time and season. Um, please share this video. Please share the, the audio um, so we can get the truth of the gospel out. We're going to be really focusing on this and stop worrying about who's going to heaven and hell and just share the gospel. And as you come across people, encourage people to believe and place their faith in Jesus. As you come across people, encourage your brothers and your sisters to remember the promises of the Lord. Have a hope. Grow in these three areas. Faith in the Lord. Love of your brothers and hope in his coming. God bless you. Have a great and wonderful day. Thanks again. Thank you for joining us today on the Becoming One podcast. We request that you please like, share, and subscribe to our station, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. Remember to pursue peace in a divided world. We the church must organize, neutralize, and evangelize. Let's become one.